0: Follow your heart and live your dreams. Something tells me that at some point in your life, you've encountered that message. Maybe not in that exact form, but in some way. Maybe from a parent, a teacher, a motivational speaker, maybe a Disney movie, I don't know. But I, I bet at some point in your life, you've heard that moniker of, you need to follow your heart and live your dreams. There's something compelling to us about that call. I was actually watching a YouTube video I stumbled upon this week of a, a graduation speech from Steve Jobs. And at one point he talked about following his heart and the call of the graduates to follow your heart and reject kind of what people want to put you in and, and go after it. And I found myself watching it being like, yeah, like I was like kind of stirred up. And I was like, man... Why is it? Why is that call something that kind of stirs or motivates us? You know, it's really interesting if you think about human beings. Like, we're the only creatures on the planet that have the capacity for self consciousness. Because of our intellectual and emotional and spiritual capacities, we have self consciousness. And because of that, it often drives us to look for meaning and purpose in life. No dog sits around wondering about his own existence. You don't go to your local cow and say, follow your heart. But for us, that call, like, it stirs something in us. It, it, like, draws us in. There's something about the way we're wired, reality of our self-consciousness that drives us to look for larger purposes and deeper meanings in who we are and what we do in in life it's this innate desire and if you were to sum up that desire or that drive in a word i think the the word that we would sum it up in is that we all have ambition all of us because of our self-conscious capacity have ambition. It's why when we hear things like follow your heart, live your dreams, something stirs inside of our heart. The dictionary defines definition in kind of two different ways. So there's one way that we kind of think of it, many of us when we think of ambition, it's the idea of an ardent desire for rank or fame or power. But there's a second definition that I think is important for our discussion this morning about the reality of ambition. It's this, that ambition is the desire to achieve a particular end. So when I say that we all have ambition... What I mean is that we all have a drive within us to move towards an end, a vision, a larger purpose or goal for life. We want our lives to matter and move towards it. The question for us is not whether or not we have ambition, but what is the end that we have ambition towards? Who or what determines the vision that we're going to go after, the end that we're going to move towards? The call of our age today is the call to determine that vision yourself, to let your heart or your dream guide the way. That the end that you should pursue is your own freedom for self-realization. Philosophically, we would call this individualism. Individualism is the idea that the individual, the person, is paramount. And that life should be lived in such a way where freedom can be pursued so that the individual can self-realize who they really are. It's the call to follow your heart and live your dreams. The question that we ask is, is that a worthy end, though, for us to pursue our lives? And does living for our own self-realization really lead us to lead the sort of lives that satisfy our hearts, that bring meaning and purpose and fulfillment? It's kind of a question we've been asking throughout this series as we looked at different things. What's the good life? What's the sort of life that will ultimately bring me a deep sense of satisfaction and purpose and meaning? Is it found in me? and following my heart and living my dreams? Is it found in my ambition and achieving that end? Today, we're going to look at a man who once again sought to figure out if really pursuing a life of individualism or ambition, of achievement, of following his heart and dreams, really brought that sort of good life. If you're just joining us, we're in the fourth week of a series we've called Smoke and Mirrors, where we've been studying through the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes centers around a man called the preacher. And the preacher is on a search in the book of Ecclesiastes for meaning and purpose in life, in what he calls life under the sun, which means he's removed God from the equation. But like a scientist, he begins to test various things in life in the world to see if they can provide him the sort of meaning in life that he is looking for. So he begins his search by looking at the natural world, and we looked the first week at naturalism. He turns from that, he finds that meaningless. He turns to his own mind and studies intellectualism. He finds that to not be the answer. So then he turns to his own gut, his own pleasure, and he looks deeply in that, and he found that, as we saw last week, to be meaningless At well, as well. But today, he turns now to another source of meaning, his own ambition. Look back at me at verse 12. You can see it kind of come about already. He says, so I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw there is more to gain, or there's more profit in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So after exploring hedonistic pleasure, the preacher now turns to say, I'm going to go now and consider the path of wisdom and knowledge. He's walked this path before, But this time he wants to seek it with a different angle. Before he looked to see if increasing his knowledge would help him find the meaning of life. Now he turns to the angle to say, if living wisely will produce the sort of achievement and ambition that I'm after, will that produce the sort of meaning in life? So he considers wisdom in relationship to what we might call foolish living. That's the idea that he says of considering with madness and folly. You could really link those words together. And it's the idea of living extremely foolishly. And the the preacher quickly dismisses that. He essentially says, living foolishly, being stupid with how you live, that doesn't produce the meaning of life. Wisdom actually has more gain. It does have more profit when compared to foolishness. He essentially likens it to the difference between light and darkness. When you turn the lights on and you live wisely, you avoid certain obstacles. You avoid things that you would not see in the dark. So there is a bonus to wisdom. But does living wisely ultimately produce that life? And this is a man who's lived wisely. In fact, in the first part of the chapter, we see that he kept his wisdom even in his hedonism and that he used his wisdom to achieve greatly. Again, the persona that's here is the King Solomon, the wisest and greatest king in Israel's history who achieved incredible earthly things. So much so that he remarks in verse 12 that those who come after him will only repeat what he has done. He's achieved so much, he's reached the top of life in such a way that those come after him, they won't do more than him. They'll just repeat what he's already accomplished. The preacher is a man who's achieved incredible things. Right? If, if you were to meet the preacher today, you'd be meeting a man in retirement. Probably a man who achieved incredible things in his area of expertise. Maybe he started his own business and grew it to be a multi-million dollar company. Maybe he was a top athlete who reached the height of his profession. Maybe he was the president, whatever it is, if you would meet the preacher, you would meet a guy late in life who achieved more than anything that you and I will achieve with our life. In many ways, the preacher embodies our kind of Western idealism of ambition and achievement. He worked hard, he made wise decisions. He followed his heart, lived his dreams, achieved what he could, right? He's pictured as kind of that rugged individualist who rejected the status quo, pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and achieved what no one else could, right? He's, he's, the, he's the goat king of Israel, right? He's the greatest of all time. And in many ways, he pictures the ideal that we go after, right? Because what we value in our society is achievement and ambition, That's why we have debates about who is the GOAT, who's really achieved the ultimate status. Like we rank everything from presidents to school teachers. It feels like whatever I look online, it's like the top 10 people that lived in the 1970s. You're like, okay, I don't even know. But we're like obsessed with like comparison and ranking and achievement and what's all this? And the preacher comes along and says, man, I'm top of the top. Like, I've done. Anybody that comes after me, they're just repeating what I've already accomplished. And so the question then is does this end that he pursues of individualism, rooted in his ambition and achievement, is it really a worthy end? Well, the preacher doesn't think so. The preacher draws the conclusion, as you saw when I read it earlier, that ultimately it's meaningless. He comes back to the same conclusion he's drawn time and time again. That life under the sun is hevel. It's like smoke or wind. And that even reaching and grabbing it through our own individual achievements does not satisfy our hearts. And so it's that conclusion which leads me to another question. Why does a man who's achieved so much feel like wisdom, ambition, and achievement? Are meaningless pursuits. Or you might ask it this way, why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? Why doesn't achievement produce what our hearts long for? Well the preacher really gives us two reasons in the text. You see the first one come halfway through verse 14. He says, and yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. You see, the first reason that the preacher gives us for why accomplishments don't ultimately satisfy is that regardless of how we live, whether we're wise and achieve much or foolish and waste our life away, the same event happens to both people. That wisdom doesn't give you control over the events of life. It was Jesus who said that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust, Matthew 5 45. Just because you choose wisdom doesn't mean that you somehow escape or overcome the rough and challenging experiences of suffering in life. Many things happen in life that we have no control over, and wisdom doesn't give us any more control It doesn't somehow get us around those things. And so the preacher's kind of like, well, if we both experience suffering, what's the point? But he also has something even deeper in mind here. He has the reality of death in mind. Because for the preacher, death is the great neutralizer and equalizer of life. And for the preacher, even if you live wisely, even if you do everything and accomplish much, at some point death comes for us all. No one escapes it. Death bats a thousand percent. It never strikes out. All of us have to face it. And for the preacher, that leads to a sense of life that feels meaningless. What's the point of accomplishment if at the end it all just goes away, anyway? I was reminded of this a few uh, years back. I got to do a funeral for a man. And um, by all accounts and purposes, if you, if you would look at his life, you would have said this man was a success. He came from a, a broken family, grew up in poverty, but ultimately went, educated himself, got into business, climbed up the corporate ladder to the point where he was one of the top HR people for one of the largest companies in the country, did well with his investments, grew his portfolio, Cared for his family, was able to pay his his kids' way through college. Ultimately, completed his career and stepped into a life of retirement to enjoy the fruit and work of his labor. He was a hard worker. and By all accounts and purposes, if you looked at this guy, many people would say he was a wise guy and a decent man. But about a year into his retirement, he had a heart defect that ultimately ended his life. And I remember when I went to do his funeral and I sat, it dawned on me sitting there with his family and walking through and kind of hearing the story of his life and where he was. That this was a man that built his life through a lot of what we would call wisdom, a lot of achievement. And yet he reached a point where he didn't ever even get to enjoy it, where all that he had built for was gone. I mean, think of all the hard work that was given all the wise decisions, all the choices. But when you stand in front of a casket, you realize a lot of that just becomes meaningless in the face of death. Because accomplishments, they don't satisfy ultimately. Because no matter who you are, at some point, all that you've accomplished and all that you've achieved, it doesn't matter. It goes away. You might enjoy it for a time, You might enjoy it for a time longer than others, but at some point it ends because death comes for all of us. And so the preacher says, if that's the case, then life feels meaningless. But he also has a second reason for why life feels meaningless. He says it in verse 16, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. See, it's not just the fact that regardless of how we live, we both are going to face death. He's also reminded that once we die, our accomplishments are forgotten over time, right? He's, He's the top of his field. He's the best of the best. Remember that. Yet he recognizes once death comes, his achievements will be forgotten, that the wise die like the fool and over time both aren't remembered. There's not a lasting legacy for those that achieve much. And so achievement feels meaningless. I mean, very few people, very few people reach the sort of achievement in life to be remembered across history. And even then, we really don't remember them that well. Like I was thinking this week, like think of like Alexander the Great. So great, we literally put it in his name. Like this is how we refer to him. What do you know about Alexander the Great? Like he was a king, Greece, I think fourth century BC he conquered the known world. What wars did he win? What relationships did he have? What did he accomplish? And even then, we know Alexander the Great because he influences our life in the West. But is Alexander the Great known in South America and somebody that lived in the 1600s? No. I mean, think of the people that you think of history. Name me an athlete from the first century. Name me a general from the Middle Ages. Name me your state senator. (laughs) Name me all the presidents. Who was your great, great, great grandfather? Like, we forget it all. All these people who think they've achieved so much when you look across history they're not really remembered that well. And so this is the conclusion that the Preacher draws. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is heaven and a striving after wind. See, the problem is, when you reach the top, it doesn't take away the empty feeling inside. And you can achieve a lot but in light of history and death, it sure doesn't feel like very much. And so he says, I hated life. And what you often find is there's a whole thread of people that we don't like to talk about who reach their dreams, and it doesn't bring them the satisfaction that they thought it would, that that empty feeling doesn't go away. One guy that knows this is Dion Sanders. Neon Dion, prime time, one of the top athletes of our lifetime. He's the only man to both participate in a Super Bowl and the World Series. One of the best cornerbacks of his generation, he's in the Football Hall of Fame. And if you ever hear his story, he shares how after he won his first Super Bowl and achieved the pinnacle of his profession, What he thought would be the thing that would bring him meaning that when he was done, it still left him with, quote, an empty feeling and that everything just felt empty. In fact, Sanders tells the story of that after that first Super Bowl, he came to the point where he felt so empty that he ended up taking his own life. Or, try, I'm sorry, trying to take his own life. He's still alive. (laughs) Trying to take his own life. And literally, he drove his car off a steep ditch, hoping to crash it and that he would end up dead because he couldn't shake the emptiness in his side. He had achieved his dreams, all of his ambitions, and it didn't bring him the satisfaction that he felt. And so like the preacher, he concluded, I hated life. It felt empty and meaningless. When we make ourselves the end of life, we're still left with that empty feeling. So what do we do? Is life pointless and empty? How do we not fall into despair and just give up like the preacher feels like he's about to? How do we not hate life and want to drive our cars off the road? Well, the preacher again gives us a clue in verse 17. Look at it again. I hated life because what is, here's his key phrase, done under the sun was grievous to me. Remember his experiment. He removed God from the equation and sought meaning in other things. What he comes back to at the end of the book, which we'll see in a couple of weeks, is he puts God back into the equation, and that changes everything. And so what we've done throughout our series is to lay, okay, this is what the preacher says life looks like without God, but what does life actually look like with God in the equation? Is there an answer there? And what do we see in God that helps us solve the reality of the meaninglessness of pursuing our own achievement and ambition. Well, what Scripture reminds us of time and time again is that the answer for why accomplishments don't ultimately satisfy is because God is supreme. Meaning God is the center, or the end, or the chief, or the top that God is meant to be the end of our ambition and our achievement. The problem of why accomplishments and ambitions don't ultimately satisfy us comes because we make ourselves the end of our pursuit. We follow our heart. We follow our dreams. And we simply are not designed for that. We are not designed to be the center of the universe. God is. And when we make ourselves the center of the world and our universe, we find ourselves empty because God will not give up his supremacy or his glory to us. In fact, he reminds his people of that time and again when they pursued their own ambition and achievements over God in him as the end and his ways. That's why the prophet Isaiah would speak to the nation of Israel And recount the Lord's words in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Or just a few chapters earlier, say it again. For my own sake, God says, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. See, God reminds us time and again that he is the end of all pursuits. That life is ultimately about him and his glory. And he will not share his place as supreme over the world with anyone else. No matter what we achieve, we will not eclipse God. We will not supplant him or replace him as the center of every thing. Everything is about God. Remember the verse we looked at last week from Romans 11 where Paul gets to the end of his longest unpacking of the implications of the gospel and then in Romans 11 at the very end he just like kind of ends with this statement of praise and he says in Romans 11:33, 33, right he says, oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Right? Paul's reminding you, no one's bigger than God. No one comes to God and said, "Mm, I think you should have done it this way. God doesn't turn and say, what do you think I should do? Nobody can search to the end of God and give him counsel. Nobody's given anything to him that he owes you back. And then look at Paul's concluding statement here. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, Paul looks back at the past and he says, everything that we've known, that's from God. He created it. He designed it. He brought it into existence. There's nothing that's not from Him. And everything that is right now, that's present across our world and our universe, is held together by God. That everything is through Him. He's the center of it all. And not only that, He's the end of everything. Everything is moving to God. That the vision scripture points us towards time and time again is that. History is moving to a place where all of creation will be filled with God, where he will be all in all. And so what Paul wants to get through to us in this moment is, hey, it doesn't matter where you look, past, present, future. It doesn't matter if you look to the ends of the universe or you look to the tiniest atom in your body. God is in the control and the center of all of it. It's all about him. He made it, he sustains it, and it's moving towards him. He's supreme that's the reality and because god is supreme everything is ultimately for his glory it's for him including our lives our ambitions and our achievements everything that we are and everything we have is to make much of god to glorify him. And when we align with that purpose, with God's purpose, that's when we find that life isn't meaningless. When we recognize we're not made to be the center of anything, God is. Don't put yourself at the center of the universe. You're not made to be there. One of the favorite things that I love on a a good summer night is I love to go out um, when there's a full moon. And I love to look at a full moon when it's like in its full glowingness and it basks itself over the field. But have you ever really thought for a moment of where the glory of the moon comes from? It doesn't come from itself. What would happen if you put the moon at the center of our solar system? You know what would happen? We'd be in total darkness right now. And not only that, the planets would start to just dissipate because the moon doesn't have the gravitational force to actually hold our solar system in its place. The glory of the moon is the sun. The light that we get to bask in on a glorious summer evening from the moon is because the sun is at the center of the universe. And the reminder from Scripture time and time again is you weren't made to be the sun. You're created to be a moon, to reflect the glory of God. And so much of the problems that we face in our life is when we try to put ourselves at the center of our universe. And that's why we're in darkness. That's why we stumble around. That's why we find these moments where we drift off into craziness, thinking this thing will satisfy me, this thing will satisfy me, if I only get this, if I only achieve this, if I only accomplish this. And then we wake up and realize, whoa, that didn't do it. Because you're not meant to be the center, God is. And as long as you keep yourself at the center, at some point you'll wake up and your life will feel meaningless and like the preacher, you'll say, I hated life. You might deceive yourself for a long time, but at some point will come and usually right when death is on its doorstep. And so the call and reminder of Scripture is to make God supreme in your life, to make him the center to live for him to be the moon that reflects his glory in your life the call of scripture is don't stop trying to achieve accomplishments aren't bad the question is what's the end for why you achieve what's the end for why you accomplish if it's you it won't satisfy but if it's god if you live for a purpose beyond yourself for his glory and that brings everything into alignment And suddenly, that's where meaning is found. So I want to share a a clip with you to hear the rest of Dion's story. And he was on a show called Running Wild with Bear Grylls, and they had a really candid conversation about his life. And I think it's an interesting window into two men that have accomplished much and the conclusions that they've kind of drawn from it. So out of all of
1: the sporting moments, what was your greatest, do you think? Do you ever think about those, or do you not really...? Honestly, man, behind the veil, behind the mask, I'm really different than my public persona. My public persona is prime time, you know? So like, even like when you won the Super Bowl and stuff? When I won the Super Bowl, when I won my first Super Bowl... What did you do? I was the first one on the bus, first one to bed. I didn't even go to the party. It was something missing inside, man. It wasn't fulfilling as I thought it was. It, it, it wasn't about the things, the outward things, because I had um, power, money, and, and sex, but it wasn't fulfilling. So you had all of that power, money... In sex. And it wasn't just... It was empty. It's an empty feeling still. Still empty. So what happened? That's when I went through my, my first divorce In which, the only things that I knew that truly loved me were my two kids. Now they're gone. Now they've been taken away. Because you lost custody of your kids. It was was devastating, and I went through suicidal thoughts, a suicidal period. I I ran um, this car off the side of the highway and was at the bottom. I thought it would just car would flip it and flip, and I was still there. And I was like, man. Shortly after that, I had to just come to the Lord with my hands up, say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. So like all of that power and money sex didn't empty. give you what your, There's your empty. faith has. Mm-mm. Empty. Emptiness. There's a great power to being able to achieve amazing things mm-hmm. and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. That's it and you know we share a faith together you know it's like a backbone to me as well and it's like all the achievements and the summits and they're they're nothing compared to you know that's something inside and i totally see it in you
0: take a moment and learn from two men that have achieved more than many of us ever will in our life that all the ambition of life does not compare to having a relationship with Jesus Christ and having God at the center of your life. See, because the truth of Scripture is that God is supreme, but God shares his victories with his people. God's the sort of God that gives himself to you so that you can have the meaning and purpose and life that your heart longs for. See, the reminder of the gospel is that death Death doesn't have to be the place where you find meaningless. It can actually be the place where you find eternal meaning. Because it was Jesus who was willing to die on your behalf so that your death didn't have to be ultimate. And it was Jesus who rose again to defeat death so that you can have an eternal hope and purpose right now. And it's when we come to put our faith in Jesus, when we take ourselves out of the center and we put Jesus at the center, that we find that meaning that our hearts long for. But here's the thing. You're not going to be able to find it until you're willing to surrender. I love Tihan's testimony there, Right? It wasn't until he got to the end, it wasn't until he realized that all the things that he was going after with himself at the center was meaningless. Where then he finally said, all right, hands up. You got me. I'm yours. But the good news that you have today is you don't have to find yourself with your car wrecked at the bottom of the ditch to experience that moment. That God invites you into a place of surrender where you can say, yeah, God, I see I've been living for myself and my glory, but it's not working. So I'm going to give that up and I'm going to make you the center of my life. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And so the way I just want to respond to God's word today is to just offer you a moment of surrender. For some of you, maybe you've never taken that step. You, you're still living with yourself at the center. You've, you've never... Open your hands and said, God, come into my life. Be my aim, be my center, be my pursuit. God invites you to do that today. But maybe you've done that, but like so many times in my own life, you find yourself in a place where, yeah, you want God to be the center, but you know that you've just kind of let yourself creep back into that place. You look at your life and you're like, huh, I'm not sure if I'm really living for Jesus. I think I'm working for me. I think I'm doing what I do for me and not for him. And you know down deep in your heart that it's leading you to that place of dissatisfaction. God wants to invite you back to that place to say, give that back over to me. Turn back, make me the center, make me the aim, make me what you're after. I'm supreme, continue to make me supreme in your life. And so we're going to sing a song together, just of surrender. And what I want to invite you to do in that moment is I want you to respond the way you feel like the Lord might lead you. This song calls, it invites us into physical postures of response of surrender. And I think for some of us, we just need to respond appropriately. Maybe it's arms out, maybe it's knees bowed. Maybe it's just seated, whatever it is. what God wants to invite you into is to make him the center of your life and pursuit. So let me pray for us, and then let's respond. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are supreme. Thank you that you are the chief end of all things. And we confess this morning, God, I confess how easy it is for me to put me at the center of my own world. time and time again, I'm left in that place feeling empty. So I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for the times I turn to lesser things than you. Would you work now to bring us back to that place where our commitment, our heart, our trust is in you, where we're surrendered wholly in our lives to say, God, you take my work, you take my ambition, you take whatever I have, use it for your glory and your purposes. Bring us to that place of trust right now. Move even as we sing, I pray. Help us, God, not to just go through motions here. Help us to be attuned to your spirit. What he lays on our heart, let us lay before you. Let us respond in the way you desire and lead us to. May it be for you just invite you to work by your spirit now. I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.